0: welcome to dead folks tales a new orleans centric podcast exploring southern gothic stories history and hauntings with your host paranormal and fantasy author nola nash find out more at nolanash.com now let's talk about dead people
1: i am so glad to have you joining us tonight for another episode of Dead Folks Tales. And like we often do, we kind of veer away from our Southern Gothic stories, and we focus a little bit on things that make the culture in the Deep South, and especially New Orleans, so, so unique. And today, we're going to talk about the food and beverages, which actually have a very long history themselves. And we have joining us tonight, Ms. Liz Williams, who is the founder and curator of the Southern Food and Beverage museum in New Orleans. And if you've ever been to the city, I guarantee you, you came back talking about the food or the drinks, whichever whichever reason you were down there, Uh, maybe both. Um, But I know that that is something that I look forward to every time I go back home is the food and really appreciating the many, many, many years of history that go into every recipe every cook's secrets and the drinks that were invented in the city. There's just so much to learn. And you have a museum dedicated to just that. Tell us a little bit about it, Liz. Yes. Well, thank you very
0: much for inviting me. This is really going to be a a conversation that I've been looking forward to. Um, So the Southern Food and Beverage Museum has been open since 2008 and so we are, you know, getting getting to be kind of old <laughs> as these things go. Yeah. And um, uh, so what we try to do is, of course, because we're in New Orleans, we do emphasize New Orleans and Louisiana. Uh, so we're very um, forward with that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we position the story within the entire South. So we tell the story of the food of the South, including and especially New Orleans and Louisiana. And we celebrate it. We um, we try to preserve it. We try to do all of the things that a museum can do. Also, we try to eat and drink in the museum as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> My kind of
1: place. <laughs> My kind of place. And we have everything in you know, the, the South that is all about comfort all about family and tradition and recipes that go way way back mm-hmm. i mean so many recipes from biscuits to you know gumbo recipes they are really cherished in the deep south you know all over the south you know there's always that flavor that taste of something that brings you home wherever home might be, whether it's, you know, all the way from, you know, the Carolina coast, all the way you know into Louisiana, there's, there's that special flavor. There's that special recipe that you look forward to when you go back home. Grandma's biscuits, you know, there's, there's always something about grandma's biscuits. I, mean, I don't know. I can <laughs> never, I've never learned how to make good biscuits from scratch. And it just did. Made- but man, I can, I appreciate a good one. Right. You, you know it when you see it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely know it when I see it. What are some of the favorite exhibits or the favorite things that visitors to the museum comment on most? So um, we really have some very um,
0: interesting signage and some old, well, one of the things that I happen to love the most is the bar. So we have the bar from the third oldest restaurant in New Orleans, which was Bruning's restaurant. Uh So Bruning's was a restaurant out over Lake Pontchartrain and um, it was founded in 1859 and it really weathered many, many, many hurricanes. But finally um, in 1998, Now, remember, we're going 1859 to 1998. That's a long run. That's a long run. Hurricane George's came. Mm -hmm. And the the building didn't make it because it was on stilts out over Mm -hmm. the lake. And a lot of environmental laws had changed so that you couldn't put in new pilings or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So they bought a building right at water's edge and they moved everything into that building. But the bar, which was this great bar from 1859, which had this huge back bar that went up like 14 feet, um, it didn't fit in the new building. So they put the bar into storage. But in 2005, Katrina hit. Mm -hmm. And in 2005, even the building at Water's Edge was wiped out by the storm surge. But the bar was in storage. But
1: The bar bar (laughs) went
0: underwater. It was underwater for the full three weeks that it took Mm. to empty out the city. However, it was in one room and so everything rose and it soaked in and the bar kind of fell apart, but all the pieces were in one room. And so they decided not to reopen. I mean, they had just reopened in 1998. And so why Mm -hmm. would, you know, they were just, um, they were ready to sort of retire. And they donated the bar to us. It was 176 pieces. We put the bar back together and now we operate it as a bar in the museum. And so I love the fact that not only is it an artifact, but it is also an operating artifact. So As people it should be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and people can get a get a drink at this bar. That's incredible. What a jigsaw mm-hmm. puzzle to have to put together too. Oh, yes. And then all of the photographs and all the things that would help you put it back together were lost. Washed away. Yeah. And and so we were we had to do all sorts of things to try to find out what it actually looked like. Now we did ultimately because of the internet find things that gave us pictures that helped us put it back together, but it was really one of those 3d jigsaw puzzles for sure. That's but in live scale in real scale, not just you know miniature
1: (laughs) fourteen foot (laughs) scale. That's huge. Just be trying to figure out how to put it all together. So in the museum itself, people can go and walk up to the old burnings bar and get a drink, and and carry it around with them as they visit the museum. Which is exactly what you do in New Orleans. You carry your drink around. That's right. <laughs> I have taken so many friends down there. We talked about it. And they're like, you just walk around the streets with a drink in your hand. I'm like, yeah, it was weird to me when I came into Tennessee and you couldn't do you that. do that, right? <laughs> so what happened? Why can't I carry my drink around? But yeah, I mean, what a truly New Orleans experience to be able to go and do that, and with. Something that has that much history with the city as well, and had been through so much. What a story! Oh yeah, and that bar itself can tell. I mean, without even the, the drinks to enhance it, right? <laughs> drinks often, too. <laughs> right? They do. <laughs> I love it. Now, I have a, a picture, and all the, the photos I'm going to show actually came from your website. Okay. And I love this picture. It just it has so much going on. Is where are we in this picture? Well, this is within our um our
0: manger hall, which is f- the building that we are in, is a historic building so in eighteen forty nine the city built on this very spot a covered market, just like the french market okay and then um in so it's eighteen forty nine to the twentieth century they decided the city to tear down this pavilion that had been there and build an enclosed space. So this oh. building is from 1912. And it was the enclosed space that was the the, um, the market, the Dryads Market, because the street used to be called Dryad Street. So it was the Dryads Market. And so what you're seeing is a marketplace, this big open space. Um, and it was one of the first buildings in the city to have slender iron columns and not, and not have the big, um, big pillars that were made out of brick, which was the Mm -hmm. older way to do this. So it seems very open. It does every, um, Every state has an exhibit there, every southern state. And we treat, because we're in a market, we treat every state exhibit as a market stall. So I instead of having everything in a traditional museum style where everything is in its own glass box and every uh, artifact is, you know, distance from the others and everything seems kind of untouchable in our case, everything is crammed together the way it would be (laughs) in a market stall. And so you see like the whole state in this one space that is dedicated to that state. It helps you see how things are related to each other, how the geography of the state really shapes in many ways, what kind of food might grow there. And so what people, especially in the days before refrigeration
1: or anything Mm -hmm. would would have been eating. I think that is a fantastic way to honor the space that it's in yes, and it's really, fun. truly keep the feeling of, of the environment as that market stall and to be able to organize the exhibits. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And then it keeps it from feeling so sterile as well. You feel like you are you know, welcoming people into the market to really kind of just explore, as opposed to feeling like they have to, you know, stand with little children with their hands in their pockets. It's not a church. <laughs> right. It's not church. It
0: is a museum, and of course, some people do feel that museums are very, um, very somber. But our idea is, food is not somber. Food is a celebration, and mm. we want you to feel that when you're at the museum.
1: I think you know adding a drink from the bar is a great exactly. way to, to really feel like you were celebrating and enjoying the food. And not only do you have the museum itself, but you guys do classes too. That's
0: right, we do. We have classes, and um, is this your, we, your
1: class space too that we're yes, seeing here? Yes, that's okay. the class
0: space. Yes, I love and, it. We have, um, we have hands-on classes for um, people who come in. We do them three times a week. And um, so anybody who is visiting the city can sign up for one of our classes. And then um, we also have, um, often on weekends, we have demonstrations and other things from chefs, from the uh, from the city, or we'll have somebody speak from a book, or uh, anthropologists come in and talk about some historical subject. We have all sorts of programming
1: going on on Saturdays. That is fantastic! What how fascinating to have all of those things in one place, and to have those chefs come in and have the history. What has the response been from people? How, what kinds of re- reactions do you get to the museum and to the programs that you offer? Well, most of the time people are really happy. Um, the thing that I
0: love the most is when people are from one of the states that's represented and they come in and they say, you really did a good job. You really kind of tell the story of our state, but you forgot this one thing. And then they tell us what it is and then usually we have either tried to get something that represents that thing, because of course it's a museum. So you Mm -hmm. need some physical object to represent whatever that is. Um, But so often we've tried to get something and we haven't, you know, people will promise it and then they don't send Mm -hmm. it or whatever. So often the people who have come will get it themselves and send it to us. That is so exciting. That is. Not long ago, someone from Alabama came through and he kept saying, well, you don't have these things that we think just are part of our Alabama experience. And so you really need them. And I suggested that he help us get, get those things and about, Hmm, four months later or so, he came back. He had his car loaded with things that he had <laughs> picked up for us. We had totally redone. This was Alabama, so we did redid the entire Alabama exhibit to showcase all of the wonderful things that he had brought us. So we, we love that interaction. And love that people feel so invested after they've just come to the museum once that they will do this. So um, we're we're always improving
1: because people care. They really do. What other than the bar, what are some of your <laughs> biggest, if anybody knows me and knows me well, <laughs> I gravitate to the bar. <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I did grow up in South Louisiana, right, and right. I had my right. drink in my hand. I mean, let's be honest. That's <laughs> kind of the way I roll. Um, but other than the bar, what, what is one of your favorite things that you have, maybe that represents this Louisiana? So we have some
0: wonderful signs. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jendusa's Bakery, but mm-hmm. Jendusa's Bakery, there was a, a sign that... Um, Fell during Hurricane Katrina, and they donated that sign to us. So we have that sign, and we have other signs. Um, we have a sign from Commander's Palace. Oh, I, I love this. This is the original sign, and it has um, a million, seemingly, um, light bulbs. Well, the light bulbs are no longer made because, you know, light bulbs mm. are changed. And the light bulbs that you can get no longer fit into the little wow. sockets on the light fixture that is part of the sign. So they had another sign made that looks exactly the same, but we'll take modern light bulbs and they mm-hmm. gave us the old one. So we don't light it very often because we're not going to be able to get light bulbs you either. Light
1: bulb, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, don't want those burning out on right.
0: you. <laughs> but, It's wonderful to have these signs which remind you of things that used to be. I I just think that that's totally wonderful. We also have um, some old uh, uh, snowball equipment that I just think is wonderful to have. We have a cast iron coffee roaster that is one that you put coals in and you t- crank it by hand and it roasts your coffee over the coals for you. And it just makes me think, oh, I bet if you were to really use that, there would be a sort of smoky kind mm-hmm. of component to your coffee that we don't have now. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I don't want to use it, but I do always think about that when I look at it. Like, oh, my goodness, wouldn't that be really interesting to try to roast your coffee in there over coals.
1: I think that's really an interesting point about changing the flavor of the coffee and would make Mm -hmm. it very unique to that particular style of roasting. I was researching for a sequel to actually a a sequel to a book that the book hasn't, first book hasn't been released yet, but I was working on the sequel. And in researching, I found a story about a woman who was very well known for her coffee and she actually sat outside of St. Louis Cathedral all the time oh, and yes. she was roasting her coffee and yes. coffee there. Mm-hmm. And that's just when you were talking about that, you know, I was thinking, I wonder what this thing looks like and not really, you know, I, I had to kind of I had to look it up. But to actually be able to see one and, you know, to actually be there with it. What a great experience for somebody who knows that story. I mean, she was she was well known for her coffee. Rose
0: Rose Nico. Rose yes. Nico.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She so was very was famous, was. famous for her coffee. Yeah. She
1: was. And so I have to think that maybe maybe that was the what made her so famous. Is her her coffee Perhaps. and her yeah. special roasting over coals and that technique. There's there's so much. Now I have to ask, is Tennessee part of your your yes. southern states? Yes, okay. It is. Now I had to ask that because my daughter goes to school in Shreveport. Okay. And she was born in Nashville. And everyone in Shreveport tells her that she's not Southern. <laughs> oh, gee. And I kept having to tell her. I said, you are as Southern as they are. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> you, are, you are Southern. And I mean, she's in college and she's calling me a mama. I thought I was Southern. They're telling me I'm not. <laughs> honey, you are Southern. And so now I can tell her that oh, yeah. Tennessee yes. is in the Southern Foods Beverage That's Museum. Right. So you're That's absolutely right. Southern. <laughs> what, types, what kinds of things did you have from Tennessee that are showcased there? So we have uh, some barbecue things. We have
0: something from the rendezvous. Ooh. And uh, we have That's actually the... a si- sign, uh, a, a neon sign from the rendezvous. Oh, wow. And uh, we have all sorts of things. Things like Jack Daniels and mm-hmm. things and um, distilling and that kind of stuff. But also, we talk about the apples from Tennessee mm-hmm. and apple butter and that kind of uh, so use of apples. And um, we talk about um, other things like um, Elvis.
1: And what oh, Elvis ate? It's
0: and fried also- peanut butter and banana sandwiches.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can get those at Graceland, actually, at the cafe,
0: <laughs> and and Maxwell House coffee, mm-hmm. and um, just you know, just a lot of things that you would recognize as. Um,
1: uh, Do you have- yeah, yes. goo <laughs> clusters and moon pies. <laughs> moon pies, absolutely. Yes, yes. Yes. I have been to the RC and Moon Pie Festival in ah. Bellbuckle, Tennessee. And let me tell you, I was in heaven because I'm an RC and Moon Pie girl.
0: <laughs> well, I would love to have, which we don't have, some old RC bottles. Oh, um, so if anybody
1: I who's listening betcha, wants to send us some. <laughs> I bet you anything. And I'm, I'm going to have to make a note. Let me make a note right now because I bet you anything in Bell Buckle, Tennessee, some of those antique shops have got antique, the old RC bottles. So I'm going to put RC bottles. Okay. For list. <laughs> because <laughs> we,
0: we really do try in every state to have. The local um soft drinks because the South was really known for its soft drinks mm-hmm. and um and every place had its own regional things before everything became national and oh, big, sure. big big just dis- uh, distributors took over everything but oh, cheer um, wine and t- exactly <laughs> exactly and uh, there was a i can't remember the name of it right now, but there was a celery flavored. Soft drink in Mississippi. Oh. I mean, it, it's just really oh, amazing yeah. what's out there, <laughs> you know. So we have a lot of those bottles. We have Dr. Nut. Oh. We have uh, just a lot, you know, some early, early barks before Coca-Cola bought uh-huh. it, you know, that sort of thing. Um,
1: and then- N-R-C. That's but right. no RC, no bottles. RC bottles. I'm going to be on a hunt for okay. RC bottles okay. for right now <laughs> because I gotta it, make some phone calls,
0: <laughs> and we can then tell the story of RC and moon Pies. and yes.
1: you know that's a it's a great story. Absolutely a great story. And and Bell Buckle, Tennessee, if you've never been, it is a tiny little town, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but it is so charming and historic in its own way. And I tell you what, they can throw a festival, (laughs) they they do a good job (laughs) and they bring in people from all over that, you know, uh, somebody told me once that Bell Buckle is the, um, the geographic center of the state of Tennessee. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. All I knew was they had the Moon Pie Festival and that was enough for me. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. I loved it. I, I love going. I, I I missed it this past year. They did have it this past year, and I missed it. And wow. so it's it's on my calendar for next summer. For next summer. because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go. I gotta go. It's it's fantastic. But I will be on the hunt for some RC bottles for you. Is there anything else that the museum would love to have from a particular state that maybe is kind of just on your wish list that maybe listeners can find for you?
0: Well, I mean, we're always on the lookout for these bottles. So it doesn't have to be RC bottles, but if there's a state um soft drink that people know about even if it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. If people send us those bottles, those things go right into the exhibit. These aren't things that get put into a box just to be part of our collection. They are on exhibit immediately. Um, so that would be something um I can't even think of all the states. Uh, mm-hmm. that would have their own special, their own soft drink, but every state has its own mm-hmm. soft drink. So um, that, that works. You know, Arkansas has grape bed and, our, you know, all <laughs> of that sort of thing. So there are, there's bed. lots of that. Yes. And um, ale 8 um, in uh, Kentucky mm. uh, so yeah, it's just there's lots of stuff that that's available in terms of
1: soft drinks that we would to, we would love to have. Fun um, to keep an eye on, and like when you're antiquing, yes. Like that's a fun thing to find. Right, to exactly. Say, that's what they were talking about. This is I can I can get this. I yeah. always like to find things that I can buy, and then you know not feel guilty about. Like, How <laughs> am I going to do this? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you've given me a reason to go to Bell Buckle. <laughs> So I know they've got them there. I remember seeing them. And I remember it's on the main street. There's like three or four little antique shops. And I know I have seen RC bottles in there. I'm going to have to go and track them down. (laughs) Terrific. That would be terrific. Now, for your classes, how early do people need to sign sign up? And I know, you know, if this does not make you hungry, this bowl of gumbo, (laughs) then you've eaten way too much for dinner. I mean, because even after dinner, I could sit down and clean this bowl of gumbo. That looks amazing and that is that's part of your your class oh yes 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 we have
0: we have two major classes one is a gumbo making class that um is really really how to make a roux and people learn how to make a A dark roux they learn how not to burn it and Mm -hmm. all of that and then we may we also have a jambalaya class and so i i think Anybody who comes will really learn how to make some of the basic foods that we eat. Um, we don't have a red beans and rice class because it takes too long.
1: And, uh, you know, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, red beans and <laughs> rice it takes hours. If it's hours. done right, <laughs> it
0: takes hours. Right. So. Um, uh, that's that's something that I would encourage people to to come to uh, to participate in. Especially, we have hands-on classes. If we have yeah. a huge group, like thirty people come in or whatever, you really can't do hands-on. But mm-hmm. if you know we we have classes that we cap at ten, and so that everybody really gets to participate, and then you get to eat your own creation so that's always fun so good (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so good so people people can sign up even walk in sometimes if we only have sold eight and they walk in we just add them to the class but it's best to sign up as early as you know that you're going to be in town so that you have a place Uh, that's good
1: to know good to know so where where is the museum located if folks are heading down there how do they find you So we are at 1504 O.C.
0: Haley Boulevard. So that's a street that is parallel to St. Charles Avenue. It's only three blocks off of St. Charles. You can get there on a streetcar if you're staying in the French Quarter or if you're staying almost anywhere, you Mm -hmm. can get on a streetcar nowadays and, and get there. And then you just have to walk
1: three blocks and there you are. And that's not a bad walk at all. No, Three blocks no. in New Orleans. I mean, it. that is, the streetcars are my favorite form of transportation. Yeah. I mean, once I get down there, I mean, I tend to stay um, uptown and I will take, I you know, right off the streetcar line, I'll take a taxi from the airport. Never run a car and can get anywhere I want to go, either on a streetcar or, you know, just a streetcar and a short walk. Mm-hmm. So it, it's great once you're down there. The transportation, uh, people might be intimidated. I mean, I'd be intimidated by the drivers if I was on the <laughs> road. <run. laughs> and so many tourists that don't know where they're going that are driving a car. I mean, it, it can be a little scary, especially driving around the quarter. But Streetcars, man, the streetcar system is excellent, right?
0: And if you were uptown, you would go downtown on the streetcar. Mm-hmm. We're not far from Lee Circle, oh, so, yeah, which is no longer called Lee Circle, but I can't, no. <laughs> it doesn't have a new name yet. Yeah, <laughs> Tivoli. I say, what is it though? <laughs> uh, it, it actually was only informally called Lee Circle, it was actually named Tivoli Circle, and it's still actually
1: actually named Tivoli Circle okay so they only called it good. Lee Circle because, because they had the statu- a statue mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense so Tivoli Circle <laughs> so not far from the World War II Museum then that's right it's not far mm-hmm. that's an excellent museum as well and we've done we've
0: done programs with the World War II Museum. Because, you know, if you're talking about rations and things Mm -hmm. like that during World War II, and you really want to understand how it worked, and what kinds of recipes came out of that time, Mm -hmm. we will invite people from the World War II Museum community to our kitchen and make things from the ration books and that sort of thing, so that everybody really gets to see it. And we use pots and pans of the time, so that you get to see how it fits into, say, a casserole dish mm-hmm. of that period, not a casserole dish of today.
1: That period, yes, yes.
0: Proportions the, have grown. <laughs> the muffins that are this big instead of this big, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Yes, yes, yes.
1: I love that you guys partner and that you partner with lots of people from the community, everybody from the chefs to the World War II Museum. What a great way to get that immersive experience of the food of New Orleans and the South and really be able to be in the midst of it all so much better than having everything behind glass. And I mean, how many museums can you walk around with a drink? (laughs) <laughs> from a bar that's over 100 years old. I mean, that's just the coolest thing to me. I mean, take your drink, walk around, enjoy stuff and, and learn something and then take a class and have some really great food that then you know how to cook when you get back home, right? which is the really cool part because uh-huh. people always say, man, if I only knew how to cook, like I would love some, you know, New Orleans jambalaya or some New Orleans gumbo, but I don't know how to make it. Man, I miss it. But if you've taken the class, you have the recipe and you've done it. So you have some of the skills that you would need to do it again. That's a souvenir right there. I tell people it's best to
0: come to us first because you're going to be eating all over the city. If you're Mm -hmm. going to be in town three days, you're going to eat, oh, nine meals or something. Mm -hmm. So if you come and have a meal with us and you learn all about the history then you're much better prepared to go to all these other places and Mm -hmm. know what the influences are, what something is supposed to taste like. Because we all know in New Orleans, if you ask somebody where the best gumbo is, they don't ever tell you a restaurant. They say, my mother's house or my aunt's house or something like that. Yep, It's because we still cook at home. So that's why these cooking classes are so important because then you really get to uh, you really get to learn what it's like to eat somebody's home cooking,
1: not just restaurant cooking. And I always tell people to find the local restaurants. Find those hole in the wall places. There are some famous restaurants Uh you just, they're famous for a reason. And yes, you do need to eat there too. But (laughs) ask a local, where's your favorite place to eat? Right. And listen to what they say and go there because they know the best food because they have been eating it most of these times, most of the time they've been eating it their whole lives. Right. And these restaurants, that's why another thing I love about New Orleans is the history behind the restaurants. They've been there forever. And generations have grown up loving that food and eating that Mm -hmm. food. And so if you ask a local, you know, you're going to get a great recommendation and just time itself is a great recommender because if they have survived there for you a hundred years, if you're looking Mm -hmm. at like Antoine's and Brennan's, you know, all these places that have been there for so long, Mm -hmm. they, yes, new Orleans knows their stuff. They know their food, just like they know their music. Right. It's not going to survive if it's not New Orleans quality good. (laughs) That's that's true.
0: That's true. Yes. I mean, we never go to restaurants to be seen. We go to restaurants to eat. And um, and so it can be a hole in
1: the wall. If the food Mm -hmm. is good, we don't care. Yeah, I have been to some great hole in the walls. My goodness, <laughs> hole in the walls are the best places to get the best po' boys. I don't know what oh, it is, right? But hole yeah. in the wall po' boys shops. Mm-hmm. You walk up, you know, you walk to the back of the restaurant to the <laughs> counter, you order, and then you wait on and, Oh, and it comes to you wrapped up in paper. I mean, that's just like, that's the best. <laughs> right, right. It's so good. Well, I have truly enjoyed I could talk food like forever. <laughs> I, like I said, I've had dinner and I'm getting hungry again. <laughs> now I'm thinking about all the things I could have been eating <laughs> if I had gone to the classes. My sister-in-law makes the best gumbo and I, uh-huh. I, I can't touch her gumbo. So when you talk about who's, you know, whose house, my sister-in-law makes uh-huh. the best gumbo. And so uh-huh. now I'm going, hmm. Maybe we can get her to cook for New Year's or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, what can I do to bribe her to make her gumbo? <laughs> and so what kind of gumbo does she make? She makes chicken and sausage. Uh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chicken mm-hmm. and sausage. And I've I've always heard, and maybe this is just sort of the, you know, Southern, you know, Southern Louisiana old grandma's tale or something. But if it is to be gumbo, it's chicken and sausage. When you add the seafood to the chicken and sausage, it's a stew. Like it's a whole other thing. Like you keep them separated. <laughs> so that that was how I grew up. That you didn't put the seafood in with the chicken. And it's either a seafood gumbo or it's a chicken or chicken and sausage gumbo. Like those those lines don't cross. <laughs> that was how I grew up. So chicken and sausage is how she does it. Chicken and okay. andeoy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why. That that's just always been the thing is if it's gonna be gumbo, it's one or the other, not both. <laughs> okay. I don't. You, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. That, that's us up there in Baton Rouge. We're doing things crazy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if folks want to sign up for classes. If they want to see what exhibits and events are going on, then they just need to go to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. dot right? it's, it's it's Southern a, Food. Southern Org. Mm-hmm. Okay. And check it out. There are some great classes. There's a calendar of all the classes and what you can learn how to cook there. Um, some great outreach programs that you guys do in the community and bringing people in. And you created all of this, correct? I mean, you founded yeah. this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I started it and now we've brought in so many other people that it's taken on a life of its own, which is really exciting for me because you can't think of everything and people have right. great ideas. And so it's it just grows and and d- deepens and it's
1: wonderful. It's wa- wonderful for me to watch it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what a legacy for you. And you're a podcaster too. And that's yes. why you are so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody what your podcast is and where they can find it. So my podcast is
0: called Tip of the Tongue and it's a half hour or so of me talking to interesting people. And uh, often an author or somebody who knows something about food and drink, Mm -hmm. and it's always about food and drink. That's the only kind of thing that uh, binds it all together. And you can listen to it on any place where you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those places, or on southernfood.org. And it's part of our network, which is a growing network of podcasts all about food and drink called
1: the Nitty Grits Network. I love it. I love it. Well, it has been truly a pleasure having you on this show, Liz, and I hope that we get a chance to talk again. And I know where my first stop is next time that I go down because oh, yes. I'm hoping to have some RC bottles in my hand.
0: Do <laughs> no, Please you. let me know when you're coming. I'm going to give you a
1: personal tour. Oh, thank you so, so much. And folks, Stud Folks Tales is going to go on a couple of weeks of hiatus as we get through the holidays because my college kids are coming home and I'm going to eat up all my time with them while I have them. So you guys have wonderful holiday season and the happiest of New Year's and we will be back on January 4th with another great show for you. So enjoy your two weeks of holidays. Feel free to watch some past episodes or listen to some past episodes and we will see you soon. So thank you so much and join us next time as we talk about dead people
0: dead folks tales is a copywritten podcast of authors on the air global radio network special thanks to producer roman suratin and executive producer Pam am stack join us next week for another episode of dead folks tales